You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Hey, if you're out there and you're new to the podcast, we are uh, Alcoholics Alive. We got Shank and Wayne here with a great guest. We are uh, recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, just share our experience on how we try to live Alcoholics Anonymous principles as a way of life. Um, I do want to speak to the, the the followers we've got. We've 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 had almost six thousand downloads to date, so we have, we appreciate that, and we've got listeners in twenty two countries. So uh, if you're out there listening, we appreciate that. <laughs> we would ask you to, uh, if you're on the on Instagram, follow us on Instagram at Alcoholics Live. If you're listening to uh, some of the episodes, click the thumbs up or the like or make some comments for us. That way uh, other uh, people that are interested can find us. We've got a great guest today. Our guest comes to us from the, well, she may not want you to know where she's from, so we'll let her tell you that. But <laughs> then think about that. Kathy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. We're doing, we're doing well, you. doing well. It's good to have you on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Kathy, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I am from the Atlanta, Georgia area. My home group is the Fifth, fifth Tradition Group. So if you're ever oh. in Atlanta, definitely look us up. We have a website, so you can locate us pretty easily. My sobriety date is January 4th of 2007. That is not my first sobriety date, but God willing, it will be the last if I stay hidden here and continue to do what we're supposed to do instead of being defiant and deciding I'm going to do my own will. <laughs> um, should I go ahead and tell you a little bit how I got to you guys yeah, here? T- yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit how you, yeah. So uh, the story has changed when I first came to AA, it would have been something sounding really, really different, entitled, let me tell you what a victim I am, and here's how everybody wronged me. Um, The truth was I grew up in a really abusive alcoholic home, and so my mother was an alcoholic. That was my definition of an alcoholic. So I walk in the doors of AA at 18 and don't believe I'm an alcoholic. Now, everybody else in my life thinks so, including the federal government. Uh, They were pretty keen that I get sober. But I'm thinking, I don't look like she looked. Um, I swore I would never drink, never smoke, never do a lot of things after what I witnessed. I never saw the fun side of drinking. It was always kind of a, a nightmare. And yet when I was 15 years old, was with some friends, we decided to get drunk and see what that was like. Um, and I don't know what happened to the other few kids that were drinking, but I know what happened to me was like a spiritual experience. I had never felt that good in all my life, I had never experienced this committee in my head shutting up long enough that I felt like I could breathe and come out and play. I was always kind of a weird kid, was really awkward, felt like I didn't fit. And all of a sudden, this magic liquid, I fit just fine. In fact, it was like super me comes out. Um, and I, I, from that second on, uh, that was going to be my mission I mean, we are the people that talk about drink, drinking careers. I mean, who talks about drinking as a career, right? I mean, I was, I was going to get a Ph.D. in this. Like, this was my whole goal. And by the time that first drink was at 15, by the time I get there at 18, my goodness. I mean, the, the downslide was so fast. I'm one of those that did a ton of drugs, too, and in some ways chased it so much that I pushed alcohol to the to the back burner, right? Which is another reason why I didn't know that I really belonged here. And I find this happens a lot with new people that I work with, especially ones that are younger or did a lot of drugs. They're often very confused about whether they have alcoholism for some of the same reasons. So I think it's important for us as sponsors to kind of talk with them through that um, to make sure that they're in the right 12-step program for sure. But yeah really diagnose that, right? So by the time I'm 18, uh, I have started a semester at college. I made the decision to go where I was going to go to college because my grandmother dangled a condo in front of me and 
It just seemed like the easiest thing to do. I was really smart, had always gotten straight A's, even though I was a massive partier, and I was kind of the bright promise of the family that should have gone to the Ivy League school, and yet I chose some state school, whatever was simple and easy, and I lasted one quarter. Um, I was, right before I went to college, though, I had gone in on a big drug deal, because I like to hang out with drug dealers, because you get a lot of stuff for free. Uh, and it went sideways, and we were busted by the feds. And so I go to college without a car because it was seized in the drug bust, with no money because that was taken too. Uh, I lost everything of material value, and I'm going to have drug tests while I'm waiting for all of the court process to finish. It takes a long time, and I simply could not stay sober. I thought, I'll, I'll go back and drink old school. I'll start drinking going to keg parties. Like leave the drugs alone. I can beat the drug tests or whatever. And I just couldn't do it because I'm an everything all the time kind of person. And so uh I had a couple of drug tests that turned up positive and the judge wants me to come in so he can talk to me, which I know is code for lock me up immediately. And so really to hide from the feds and not bust my friends and I mean, everywhere I looked, there were problems. I mean, I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And so I ducked into a treatment center basically to get everybody off my back. And I, I certainly was in a place of suicide, suicidal thoughts. I wanted to die so bad, but I, didn't, I was too afraid to hurt myself. I just wanted to just not wake up uh, mm-hmm. and was pretty mad when I did. And so I went to this treatment center, and they are – taking us to AA meetings. They also took us to some other meetings and different things. But they also, it was, it was the late 80s. I came in in December of 1989. That was the, the high time of the treatment center. So we did all kinds of fun therapy stuff, and I got to beat on pillows and yell at my yes. mother, and, yeah, who had died of alcoholism, mind you, at 39. Um, so I'm yelling at her memory, and I'm yelling yep. at my father who's still living and blaming everybody, the biggest victim. Uh, but, yes, they took us to these pesky AA meetings. I wanted to sit in those fun therapy things. I didn't want to go to stupid yeah. AA because it's like they're presenting a solution for a problem that I don't have. I mean, why am I going to do your rehab program for a bum knee when I keep saying, no, 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 it's my elbow. It's my elbow. You don't understand because I had it backwards. I thought I'm neurotic and crazy as a result of this upbringing, and therefore I drink. I had no idea that the two things were not separate. My mother, my father never poured any drinks down my throat. I'm so glad that through the step process I got over being a victim uh, because victims never seem to get better here. And I wouldn't have gotten better because my case would have been special and different. I'm broken in this unique way that you don't get. And and the other thing is when they you know, took us to these meetings, I read those steps on the wall and I, I saw that word God a lot. And I thought, oh, my word, you mean I have to join this holy roller program? This was bad news, real bad news. Um, And, again, I'm not going to actually work your steps and do what you're asking me to do, get a sponsor, because I don't feel like I really have to. You know, I had a court-ordered therapist. I ended up having to go to prison early in sobriety, and I come out, and I have to do court-ordered therapy, and I stay in there for a couple of years talking about nothing but relationships with men, uh, basically, um, and would have told you I was codependent. <laughs> I would have told you all these things, right? And I, I kind of shudder at the thought of what I used to go into meetings and share. I try to be really tolerant of people that were like me because the old timers were very kind to me. And I went and shared a lot of mess in those meetings the first four years. I stayed sober four years on fellowship alone, on just changing what the treatment center said, changing my playmates, playgrounds, playthings. I went went to a lot of meetings. I did all of that, but I didn't have the transformation that I needed to have. And I certainly didn't have, didn't go through this ego reduction process to be able to connect with this power that I so desperately needed. I did not think that lack of power was my dilemma. I thought lack of all kinds of other things were my dilemma. And if I could just sort those out, um, then you know, I'd be all right. And after several years of therapy, all of these meetings, I picked up a four-year chip and was drunk a few days later. Because I kind of had that feeling where I look at myself in the mirror and go, what do you have to hang it on now? 
Because, of course, my pink cloud had evaporated a while ago, and I'm feeling depressed, and I'm feeling the, is this all, there is the sobriety syndrome, and I'm just hating going to meetings. I want to punch people in the face, um, you know, and I'm right there sitting there where a solution would be, but I don't get that I'm not doing it. I, I really, you could have put me on a lie detector, and I would have said, absolutely, I'm working a program. Absolutely, I worked the steps. You see my step worksheets that I did with my counselor? I mean, I, I was doing everything that was possible to do wrong. And so I stayed out there about two months, and all I did was drink, which was really important, because I finally saw my alcoholism. And I can't say that it got so horrifically bad after two months that I'm crawling in on my hands and knees, but I watched that progression up close and personal. And if I had been out there much longer, I probably, yeah, would have picked up the drugs eventually, and then here we go. And I, I could have gone back to prison for five years. And so at that point, when I finally did what we, what I should have done in the beginning, right. which is actually get a competent sponsor, go through the steps in the big book, and therefore reduce me so that I can grow a relationship with God and get in touch with something. Um, I must say that before we get into this topic about the good old God word is that I mean, I definitely came in a staunch atheist. I bristled with antagonism if you brought up any kind of idea of God. I'm, you might as well have been telling me in order to get sober, you have to believe in the Easter Bunny. I thought this is ridiculous. And it's not because I had an overdose of religious education. I didn't even know the Lord's Prayer in total until I came to AA. But I'm a quick study. By meeting three, I got it. Right, because I you can't I couldn't tell, I didn't tell anybody I didn't know this because I thought most people in the world know this prayer, um, and so I, but I, but from just sitting in meetings, I really think I went from being a staunch atheist and kind of went to the agnostic place, where I was in that place they talk about in the big book where I would see some of these old timers who would talk about God and they had that twinkle in their eye and I thought if I just have what that man has, but I didn't know how to get it and I didn't understand until I did it that going through the steps was the way to connect with this thing. Mm -hmm. um, I thought maybe I, osmosis, if I sat next to you in a meeting, maybe it'd rub off on me somehow, and clearly yeah. that never happened. So I spent most of those early years before I worked the steps in AA definitely agnostic. Um, wanted something, but didn't know that I wasn't doing the work to get there. Mm -hmm. Now listen, Kathy, I love the Easter Bunny. <laughs> I, I, too, I, think, I like chocolate. <laughs> I think the Easter Bunny would be a good higher power. And uh, now, did you ever release any of those helium balloons in therapy, where you write people on there that you don't like or your resentments, and then you release it up to the sky? No, but I would have loved that. <laughs> it's very. It's I very did a lot fun. of art therapy where I drew pictures of fire and burning buildings and yes, stuff. nice. I was full of fury and rage and wanted to take it out on somebody so bad. Yes, yeah. Mm. Thanks for the introduction, um, Shank. What's our What's our topic? Our topic today is the pamphlet, which has been referenced, the God Word. Agnostic and Atheist Members in AA, and so this is a pamphlet that has several stories of Agnostic and Atheist Members in AA in it, so I'm not going to read any of those, but there is uh, kind of an opener in this pamphlet that's pretty good from our co-founder, Bill W., and he wrote this in 1965, and it says, We have Atheists and Agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we are supposed to be bound together in the kinship of a common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever should be a first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among, among us is a member of AA so long as he or she declares it. So I really like that opener in there. And then it goes on to have all of these stories. If you have not read it, please do. But it has all these stories of people um, who are atheists. And agnostic and say they don't believe in God, but somewhere in their story, they usually say that 
they believe in something. So it's very confusing. It's a little confusing Sometimes, to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a pretty good one. So the story saying that they're still atheist or agnostic or said they came in and then had a transformation? Because I haven't read the pamphlet. It's a good question. It is a good question. There are several stories in there, uh, and there are a few in there where it sounds like, and I know people like this in real life uh, who have told me, like, well, yeah, I'm an atheist, but then I talk to them. There's one, there's this one guy, and I just think that he is great. I love this guy. He is so great, and he always tells me that he's an atheist, but then he describes these powerful experiences of something out there happening and I'm just like, dude, you're an agnostic at best. Like, come on. He's like, no, nah, I'm still an atheist. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my, hu- so I- my husband and I would say that we're probably, we used to laugh and say we're about as atheist as you can be and still believe in God. <laughs> you know, so I kind of understand where it's coming from, but I'm not going to be telling people I'm still an atheist because it isn't true. Mm-hmm. The pamphlet is a little, is a little confused. I don't know if it's confusing, but. Because in the title, it says the God word, agnostic and atheist members in AA. Which implies they're still agnostic or atheist. But when you read the stories, and all of them, like at the end, some of them never actually answer the question if they're still agnostic or atheist. But by the content of what they wrote, they believe in something. So, it's kind of... I, it's not my story, so I guess I can't say, but it's 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 interesting to me that they... We should ask for a revision of the pamphlet. Well, that's yeah. why I was wondering when and, you read that. I thought, are they trying to say that there are still, like, years long? And I I imagine that there are years long atheists and agnostics in the program. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm certainly not religious myself, and I, I do hear a lot of things in AA that um, when I... As the book says, don't let your prejudice or whatever deter you from honestly asking what it means to you. So I roll that through my head and say, does that make sense to me? And sometimes no. And sometimes I'm in the minority, but it's okay. I know that lack of power is my dilemma today. And I know that I desperately need a power, whatever I want to call that, or if it has a face or not, or if it, you know, I just know I need it. And that I've always needed it. I just was the last person to know. Well, share your share your experience with us a little bit on on when you first got sober and took the steps. Your experience with uh, with the God Word or coming to believe, however you want to look at that. So once I came back at 22 and I picked up my white chip, I I I've never found sponsors because I heard something great in the meeting and asked them. I promise you, the things that I hear is that you're married and you have a great job and a lot of money and oh, you'd be good. I mean, I don't, I don't have a very good picker. Um, and so I heard a guy that seemed like he was leading the meeting, had something going on, and I asked him if he knew of a female that could sponsor me that was strong in the big book. Because I knew, I'm not stupid. When I went home after getting that white chip, I said, why why'd you pick up a four-year chip and then you were drunk within days? And it's like, well, you went to a lot of meetings. You raised your hand and ran your mouth in every single meeting, whether you had anything to say about it or not. You went to step meetings where we read the step and we talked about it. And if we just talked about it, isn't that kind of like you just did it? I mean, that's what I thought. <laughs> I, I avoided big book meetings because those people try to tell you what to do. I don't want to go there. <laughs> and so I realized, okay, look, you need to finally open this big book that the treatment center gave you four years ago and, like, the binding is still tight. You've never really opened it. <laughs> you need to find a sponsor to take you through it. You need to go to a big book meeting and keep your mouth shut since you know zero about the big book. Um, and hopefully if she takes you through the steps, something will happen. That was just the whole deal. So he sent me to the right person who said, bring your book, come over on Sunday. Um, and we literally went through the book line by line, page by page. She didn't give me a bunch of busy work to do. We just prayed when it said to pray. We wrote when it said to write, and here we go. Um, and, of course, the subject of God comes up pretty quickly. And my big hang-up with God was this, is that, it, uh, you know, I heard things in AA, because I'm trying to cobble together in those first four years being a meeting attendee. I'm trying to kind of cobble together a conception. Right. I even heard one person in the meeting one time say, 
that their sponsor had them write down on a sheet of paper what your conception would be. So with no sponsor, I go home, get my piece of paper out, and I wrote down some things. And it's kind of funny. I mean, it's some things I believe today, like, you know, that God is love. I can trust it. Um, it wants what's best for me. It's never going to leave me. You know, these kinds of things. But I looked at that and I thought, now, wouldn't that be nice? But let's be honest. That is a pipe dream. Like, I just couldn't intellectually make myself believe it just because I put words on a piece of paper. I tried praying to this God, especially when I was in pain those first few years. You know, please help me, help me get through this, whatever. But then as soon as that pain would dissipate, I didn't pray again. You know, it was, it's using God, as it says in the 12 and 12, as a bush lead pinch hitter. I'm just praying to get out of the trap, whatever it is. Um, and so I, I, I didn't do anything with consistency. And the truth is, even if I came up with my own conception, this is what I told my sponsor, that, and it would still be the same today. If I can truly design my own conception from scratch, it would look like this. It would be half Santa Claus that would give me everything I desired and give the good stuff to the people I thought deserved it. You know, cure that person's cancer and give that person the great job and, and all this kind of stuff. It's all based on my judgment now. And then the other half of it would be, like a 13-story tall wizard that with the bad people would just zap them with a lightning bolt and, you know, would kill people who were like murderers and child molesters. But the person that, that didn't give me a wave when I let him in traffic, just give that guy a flat tire. So again, <laughs> it's all based on my judgment. That's still what I would have my higher power be because it puts me above God. It puts me in a position of judging my fellow man and then having – like this immense power that I could wield, you know, how I wanted to. And I just, you know, the other thing I heard in AA, though, was talking about God has a plan, right? God has a plan. And I thought, okay, if God has a plan, then it starts by creating you and you were born. And then it somehow ends in the end, whenever that is. And I thought I was never going to pray consistently to that God because, if that was a plan, then it was God's plan for me to be born in that household, experience those things. What, what, so I could have, get over it one day and survive and have this, you know, great experience to show to somebody else. I'm like, uh-uh. I just avoided that God. I really blamed God for my upbringing. I thought it was God's fault. And the couple of times when I was a kid, it would be, you know, a bad fight and a really scary situation. And I'm hiding in my room. I'm an only child with my dog. And I'm begging God to have this stop. And it didn't. And I thought, okay, either God really doesn't care about me, right? Uh, or the most logical thing was there isn't one. And that most of the people in the world who believe are completely deluded. And I literally made that determination in one night like that. And that was right about the time I started drinking. So these are some of the prejudices and hurdles that I had to get over. And thankfully, my sponsor and I had a lot of conversations. I also talked to some other people in AA. Um, sometimes I would talk to them about what they believed. When, I'm, when I was searching for a conception, I'd ask them, what do you believe? Because I, I, I don't know where to start from. It says that as long as you're willing to believe, you can start with whatever limited conception you have and I'm starting at ground zero all I have are some prejudices of some kind that you know they weren't thrust upon me they just came out of my experience basically um and so that I was told things like look you know do you believe you're a puppet do you believe you don't have any ability to make decisions for yourself at all and I said no he said yeah well and that talks about you have free will and do you think perhaps you were the recipient of your mother's bad free will. And it wasn't God either allowing that or making that to happen. And then I finally cracked open part of that prejudice. I'm like, you know, maybe God would have helped my mother had she been a seeker. But she wasn't. And so I, I don't know that God can wrestle me, make me change unless I'm cooperating and participating some kind of way. Um, and so then I was like, okay, well, that's good. So maybe everything in my life is not God's fault, good or bad. And ever since that time, and I'm going through the steps during that process, since that time, I swear it's been 30 years since I've had a beef with God. 
And I sponsor some people that get angry at God on the regular. But because I don't think God is blessing me or cursing me every day in different situations, we don't have a problem. I just know that God is infinite power and that the step 11 particularly is really clear that I'm asking for God's will for me in these situations, not for God's will in the situations, because I don't have the concept that said God is doing that and setting it up and working it out. Um, but it is up to me to go, God, please show me what your will is for me in this situation, because I don't know what to do. Like, you're going to have to do something with me, because I want to respond really immaturely and probably run around hurting people. Um, and so I need a different response. And that's with, when things are going really, really good or really bad. I don't have a very good response to life. That's why I like when I heard an AA about accepting life on life's terms, because that is life. It rains and snows on everybody. Nobody's promised a rose garden. I've known people in AA that did a ton of 12-step work, were kind to everybody, were just the people you want to be around and, like, went through a bad patch in life where everything but the locusts showed up at their doorstep. It's not like they deserved it. It just sometimes that's how life goes. But they, those people stay sober as long as they keep a close relationship with God and are constantly asking, all right, God, you know, this is blowing my mind. How do you want me to show up here? And so these are some of the things that I had to talk through with a sponsor. And and she always recommended that every time you even hear something in a meeting, don't just say, trust that because you heard it in a meeting, it's gospel. Everybody comes with their own history, experiences, beliefs. And I, I actually sponsor, a, a, I don't know, it's a dozen people or more. I don't know. I've counted lately. But I sponsor some that are very devout. They love their religion and like, just because I'm not religious, like, we don't have a beef yeah. about it at all. It's all good. I said, I don't care what your higher power looks like as long as you have one because you desperately need a power. And in both of these cases, these gals came to AA almost afraid that AA was going to tell them you can't believe in that God anymore. So they share that at meetings, which I think is important because it doesn't mean you need to trash whatever you had before. Right. If you're good with it. But what we need to do is go through the steps and this ego reduction process so that you can stop living agnostically, even though you believe. Because they had a great, strong belief. But if you look their life, their life looked the same as mine. Because they're basically saying, I believe there's a God, but I don't really need to use it. Because there's too much ego there. So I'm so grateful that that this process is really about not finding God. God's not lost. I'm the lost one. And that the steps seem to be designed to reduce me. And, and just like this, this glass here that I have full of tea, it's like if the level goes down, pushing down the ego, it's not like there's just empty space and air in the top. God fills up all the other spaces. And all of a sudden I connect to something that was really inside me all the time. It was around me. I'm able to access it, but like I'm like a broken radio receiver that can't receive the radio waves. Like this thing's got to be fixed some kind of way. I have too much ego blocking me off from the power, whether I believe in it or not. So I'm curious on when you were new, and there's some things in the big book like, when Abby's talking to Bill Wilson and he says, you know, Bill's having a hard time, you know, whether he believes or not. And Abby says, Hey, choose your own conception. Right. And Bill has this kind of, you know, open-minded epiphany that, Oh shit, I never thought about that. And, um, then in the later on in the we agnostics, it says where it says you just have to be willing and it uses the, the idea that when we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception. Did that have any impact on you being new when somebody said, hey, you can have your own conception? I think that's in, intended to stop the debate and the argument with people, but it doesn't seem like it always works. I'm, I'm just are, curious. We are pretty argumentative. I mean, yeah. my, my, my favorite line about that in the big book that says, we have a way out in which we can absolutely agree. <laughs> I thought we don't agree on anything, you know. Uh, 
I mean, yes, the steps are there. They haven't changed. But when you start talking about how people work them and this, I mean, yeah, we could argue about that stuff all day long. Um, I'm thrilled that I think it was Jim B. in New York that was the guy that saved my life and many others when he said, I'm not going to believe in your Christian God because AA is an offshoot of the Oxford groups, which is pretty Christian, right? Um, I'm so glad that we absolutely can choose our own conception. That is such a relief, right? But like I said, doing it, this intellectual exercise where like I wrote it down a piece of paper or whatever, um, that wasn't going to happen. And basically what my sponsor charged me to do, she said, because she said, you know, do you believe or now you willing to believe? Squarely in step two. Um, at that point, if you'd asked me those first few years, I would have said, yes, absolutely, because I'm a good test taker, and I know that's the right. right answer to that question. But the truth was I wasn't even willing to believe. But when I'm sitting in front of my sponsor after that relapse, I said, yes, I'm willing to believe. Uh, but I can tell you I really doubt it. And she goes, that's totally fine. She said, here's what I want you to do. She said, I want you to take the actions of somebody who has full faith and full belief that this stuff works. And she gave me the list of some things to do, like getting on my knees and praying in the morning for a sober day, at the very least, and at night doing the same thing and saying thank you. Okay? I thought, okay, I can do that. Now, if you had a like a camera and were watching me at the time, it looked a little something like this. God, if you're there, you're probably not there. This is probably so stupid. I'm probably just talking to the room. I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, please keep me sober today. That's what my prayers look like, right? I was just, I fought it tooth and nail. But at the end of the day, I took the actions that she asked me to do. I did not make it easy on myself or anyone else. But the action is the only thing that really matters. She also taught me little tricks to maybe try to start bringing God Thinking, thinking about the, you know, God during the day, like she taught me the little trick about God time. And she said, if you look at a clock and it's like a digital clock, most of us have them. Now we have them on our phones all the time. And it said like 111 or 1212 or 1234. That was God time. Just in an effort to like have God on your mind, because I promise this is all brand new to me. I, you know, and I would be the person that easily would pray in the morning, run the show all day, and then just say thanks at night, right? Um, so I needed some things to kind of help. Um, and then when it came to do things like um, making amends, and I'm convinced that this is going to go really poorly, you know. And so she would say, all right, you need to pray, you know, especially in the morning. You know, you're going to make this amends. You got the appointment today. And then pray again when you go in. And it's, you know, about God, please help me take responsibility, stand up and be honest with this person, um, keep my mouth shut when I allow them to speak and do this, right? And I was convinced this is going to go bad. I mean, I'm literally shaking. And every time I came out of one of those amends, I started with those kind of actions, building a track record with God, where I prayed and I was okay. I was unscathed on the back end. And it's by taking these little leaps of faith where in my mind I'm convinced there is no God. I'm not taken care of. I'm flying blindly. Uh, Oh, my God, I need to sit down and manage this. And I was willing to give God a little bit. It was like I walked off of a cliff and an an invisible bridge was under me. So by the time, I mean, really, in my case, I really didn't start, I think, really believing and you know, feeling connected to God until literally till step 12. So I had a couple of sponsees that were actually sticking. And I found that I had just this general sense of knowing that God's got this. Now, I, I wish I had that all the time. I mean, if I get really angry or really afraid, what my head, my ego says is, oh, I know God's taking care of you all those other times. But no, no, no. Right now, we need to turn off the phone. we got to sit down and think about our serious problem. Manage, 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 manage. Right? Um, I just try really hard not to make decisions based on that stuff. Because usually when I do, I make a right mess of things. But it is my natural inclination to try to manage. Which is why the step 11 stuff says, we constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. I wouldn't have to do that if I wasn't constantly trying to do it, right? Um, so it was really baby steps. And the whole time, 
I told my sponsor that, okay, yes, I've been messing around in AA for several years and I relapsed. No big surprise, I guess. I don't think that this stuff that you're telling me to do is actually going to work because I still felt like a victim. I hadn't been through an inventory and amends yet. I still, I felt like this was a nice, these 12 steps were a nice moral way to live, right? But my problem is a lot more complex than that. But I said, but here's the thing. I'll do every single, single thing you say for a year. And if I don't feel better on the back end, then forget it. I'm going to go back and crawl into a bottle because I can't stand the way I feel sober. It's awful. So if this doesn't change, forget it. So I, like I said, I fought it. I didn't make it easy on her. But at the end of the day, I, I showed up with some willingness and I did it. I mean, finally, my sponsor, because I argue so much about everything, she said, just do it because like, I said so. I mean, like she wanted to ring me around the neck because I was I just wouldn't I wasn't an easy sponsee, but I did it. And eventually those actions, which seemed like faking it till you make it or something, um, really what I was doing. was <laughs> I was really acting as if, right. you know, acting as if I believe. So I'm taking the actions of the girl that believes but I totally didn't until I went through all of the steps. You know, I really believe that I had to have a concept in step two to then, you know, give my will and life over it in step three. How can I give my will and life over something I don't even think exists? Yeah. So I kind of used that first power as like my sponsor in AA, basically, um, until I weaned off of that into some kind of a power that is outside of that, that's not in the human realm anymore. So like many of us, you found the power by taking the actions of the steps. Exactly. And I don't, I don't know for a person like me, I don't know there's any other way. There there really isn't. You can't think it or, or feel it or make it happen. You got to take those actions. That's right. Yeah. Shank. What's the God word? Well, uh, I appreciate everything that you've said, Kathy. I, my experience coming into Alcoholics Anonymous is I knew that God existed. I had no problem with that. I just didn't think God was for me. Um, it sounds like we have a lot in common as far as uh, childhood things and growing up and all of that, but You know, all I had when I got sober really was religion because I went to prison after being sober a couple of months. And, you know, like I, I had no problem going back to my childhood religion that I had walked away from that was very, very, um, by the book. I had no problem with that and it worked for me. So I won't say that I was like, um, a model uh christian or whatever during that time but i needed some parameters and that is what i had uh, along with working the steps you know i found the power of god through religion and aa kind of combined i believe so it helped me to understand now would i still say that i'm super religious no i'm probably more religious than a lot of people which i think in aa people don't know about me uh i don't find it necessary to share that a lot in aa because I have a higher power, I have God, and I don't feel it necessary. I think our literature describes a lot. I don't have to put my conception of a higher power on anyone else. I don't have to try to get them to believe it or not believe it um, for me to feel secure in my relationship with God. So I always really enjoy hearing people who maybe had atheist or agnostic temperament. You know, I really like what Dr. Bob says about it um where he says if you think you're an atheist agnostic a skeptic or have any other form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book i feel sorry for you you know and i just i i have found that women i've sponsored it has really been a lot of times this intellectual pride almost of well i have said that i'm an atheist for so long but I can't, like, not be smarter than everyone else who maybe believes this stuff. Right. <laughs> I relate to that a lot. <laughs> so, uh, for me, this was just really not that difficult. Y'all told me that I needed to believe in something. I said, great. I already know something from when I was growing up. 
I'll just believe in that because I am desperate to get sober and not continue living the way that I'm living. I love that. One of the things I used to hear, actually, I still hear this sometimes in meetings, if somebody's telling their story, something along the lines of, you know, I used to drive drunk all the time and I was in this really bad car accident and I managed to, you know, get out of that with just a few scratches. I know God was with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know that's interesting. <laughs> I've been to a lot of funerals. Was God not with that guy? Exactly. Yeah, like well, these, you need to that, I, that every time. Like, don't let them your your prejudices deter you from asking. Does that make sense to you? What does that mean to you? And those are the kind of things that I was like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't get on board with that. You know, if that's good for you, if you think God gave you a good parking space, that's fine. Um, but I think if, if God's blessing you that way, then then who are you going to fault for the times when you were on your way to the job interview and you got a flat tire? Is that God's fault, too? Or is that some other force? I don't know. Yep. Listen, I probably bring that exact point up at our home group uh, when I tell my story and to anyone who will listen after I hear someone say they had 25 felonies and God made them disappear i really went off on this in our podcast last week so i'm not going to rehash it but um totally agree with that oh go ahead shank (laughs) i want to hear it It, oh man Mm. it's funny i didn't huh how about you jerry well i didn't even realize it completely until you two were talking that i mean i didn't grow up religious we you know my dad took us to church on easter and that was about it we didn't really have a clue what was going on so i wasn't like burned with religion or anything like that but i always believed there was something there but i never had that kind of idea in my mind that everything that happened god was involved with like if somebody got hurt or died i didn't blame god and I, so I know that I, I've tried to help a lot of people that have that in their mind that they think everything is like tied to to God as like some puppet master. For some reason, I I avoided that in my mind. I'm, I'm I just realized how grateful I am to that, but I didn't I didn't have that. Now when I got here, I was confused about spiritual stuff and about God, but I was so beat up. I don't know. When they said you're going to have to believe in something, I just said, okay. I mean, I didn't like, there was like no fight left in me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because I, there really wasn't a fight or if I was just that dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I started immediately just believing the, in the God that was in that church. I tried to get sober in just before coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, I moved away, kind of moved away from that because some of their, their teachings, but the, I found power through people in the program and by taking the steps and listening to people's stories. Um, you know, I'd hear somebody's story that, you know, that overcame stuff and was able to stay sober. And I would, it would just give me a little bit of belief that, man, if it works for them, it, you know, it might work for me. Um, but I, yeah, yeah I, I, that's I, exactly how I went from being atheist to agnostic was by hearing these people's stories. Because the first six months of coming to AA, you know, somebody would they brought the white van, the treatment van, to the meetings, and we'd hear these stories, and they would talk about their childhood, and if it was rough, like I'm relating to that, and then they would talk about their drinking, and sometimes, I mean, the stories always tell better than they live, and they can be very tragic, but we laugh, and I like to laugh, and I'm kind of relating to some crazy antics we can get into, um, and and sometimes they talk about the later drinking and how they, you know, felt hopeless and suicidal, and all this, I'm like relating, and I'm ready to sign up for AA, right? in my mind. And then they talk about working the steps and finding a relationship with God. And it was like a steel door slammed in my head because now you're stupid. Now I'm not telling anybody this because I, I really wanted everyone to like me. And I know that that's going to sound like smug superiority, which it absolutely was. Uh, But there was something that was very attractive. After a while, I stopped with the, you know, you're stupid 
I kind of felt like maybe you were gullible a little bit, but I still wanted to right. maybe I need to be hit on the head with a big brick. Um, and then I could believe because I so desperately wanted to believe like Shank. I so desperately wish I didn't have this big hurdle. But what I found later on is even if you don't have the hurdle, you still have to go through the step process because there's probably too much you, too much ego between you and the power, even if you believe it. And sometimes I I heard some of my people that were, were religious and okay with all of that, and yet they felt like they've been praying to be sober and God had forsaken them. And that sounds really lonely to me. Mm-hmm. Believe there's a God and you're begging for help. And it seems like help isn't coming because you continue drinking when you, you know, against your own will. You don't want to be drinking, and yet you can't get out of the trap. That's a real rough situation. Um, so they still have to go through the same process, even though I've had several sponsees that get to we agnostics and go, well, I'm not agnostic. We can just skip that chapter. That's <laughs> right. No, no, no. <laughs> yep. If you're out there and you knew know this, that there's no debate in AA on what you believe or what you don't believe. And when the book says you can choose your own conception or you can use your own terms to define spiritual terms, that's not a trick. You you can actually do that. So, um, yeah, there's no debate in Alcoholics Anonymous. You might find members and even some groups that, try to get you to believe a certain way or appear that they believe a certain way, but just go find another group and another member. There are there are members and groups that are very open to whatever your beliefs are. Yeah, I'm, any of the newcomers listening, I can tell you that if I can get over my prejudice and get in contact with this power that is in an immense well of power, not just to overcome drinking, but the truth was I didn't have power in any other area of my life, too. How many relationships, bad relationships, did I go back to the guy time and time again when I had been to therapy and talked about, I'm not going to do that again. I know he's bad for me, whatever, and I find myself doing it. I mean, I'm I'm a great starter at things. I come out of the gate like the racehorse that's way ahead of the pack. But after a while, everybody comes, you know, beyond me because – you know, without the power I need, I, I, I can will myself to start strong. And then it, the, the me shows yeah. up all over again. And I'm going to do whatever my ego wants me to do, which is usually <laughs> not probably what's best for not, me. Not Yeah, not the right thing. Hey, the other thing that's been mentioned, Shank mentions this all the time and Kathy did, AA is not anti-religious either. So if you've got strong religious beliefs, whether they're, Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, Muslim, whatever, AA has no conflict with that, and AA can make you a better member of those those uh, religions. That's right. So, yeah. I love that about AA. Sure. I, I yeah. often wish that our society at large was more like that, where there's not the, the warring individuals and warring theological systems like I wish there was more of that, that you could believe how you want to, and it's fine. You're not affecting me instead of <clears throat> I, I kind of thought that AA when I sort of first read those steps and saw God I thought oh God they're going to be preaching to me they're going to try to convince yeah. something um, and boy am I going to try to fight against that and I'm so glad we don't have that fight here Yeah, we're going to mail you some white robes and some sandals though <laughs> <laughs> as long as you give me like a, a thing of pencils and a tambourine I'm ready right you're ready to go uh. Oh, man. Shank, you want to go to Meeting Shrapnel? Let's go to Meeting Shrapnel. All right, Kathy, get ready. All right. All right. Meeting Shrapnel number one is ego easing God out. What do you think, Jerry? Wait, I want to hear what you have to say about that. Where does this stuff come from? I don't know about this one. I mean, it, I guess it's, it, it, I don't know. Kathy gave a description I, I about was, some iced tea glass a little while ago. Maybe yeah, that's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> I actually like that acronym a lot. Um, yeah. Because in my life, it seems like that's exactly 
what my ego is trying to do is to create this separation between me and God and certainly me and others constantly. Um, it likes me pretty dang isolated. Um, and when I'm isolated, it's like I'm roaming around in the bad neighborhood in Atlanta. Um, I'm, I'm not very safe and protected and all of a sudden, you know, my defects of character become first and foremost to try to protect me against a world that, quite frankly, I'm pretty afraid of on my own. Because people are always thinking things and they might be thinking things at me and they may take some action and do something to me and either take something away from me or keep me from getting something I feel like I have to have to be okay or need or want. Um, so I kind of like that little acronym um, because I think it's just the troll that is just hiding behind the tree, giggling at me and constantly going, hey, you need to do this. You don't need to do that prayer. You don't have to get to that meeting. You do a lot of meetings. Just take the night off. You're kind of tired. It's raining. I mean, like it's constantly trying to push me away from anything that's going to feed my spirit. One of my mentors would say, you know, we're in this constant tug of war between the God and ego. And that's like, and you're in the middle. And it's like, who wins? The one that you feed, the one that you help. And I've spent a lifetime making decisions based on what the ego wanted. Um, and it and it's loud because it's right between my ears. And I, I like right. when the book talks about that my connection to the spirit is deep down within. I always kind of imagine it behind my belly button. But that's a long distance from where my head and my ears are going deep down within. And the ego is right there. And when, you, when I, I don't, I'm not tortured by it today, thankfully. Um, I've made, I've, you know, tried to get my feet really smart because my head's kind of out to get me a lot of times, it seems like. Yeah. So I can get my feet to get me to the meeting if I can, you know, try to set myself aside and pick up the phone when it rings instead of always letting it go to voicemail. When I do all these little things, I'm moving closer to what I kind of think God's will is for me. But if you get me really angry or really afraid, uh, that's when I really notice that the ego is alive and well. I mean, we spend a lifetime putting everything in our life through the steps, right? It's like the 12-step wash. And so I flush the ego down the drain, but just like a toilet, it always fills up again. And I spend my lifetime doing that. It is always trying to push me away from God and from others. I wonder how this one would play, though, with somebody that doesn't believe in God. So if we have a real atheist or agnostic. There you go. What do you think about it, Shank? I'm not going to say that I've never heard this one. I'm sure I have. Uh, it just reminds me of when I was in treatment. Like, they gave us a bunch of acronyms for things. Uh, you know, there was one for, like, restless, irritable. I can't remember what they were. I have them written down in my very first book. Um, like so just rid, rid for restless, irritable, discontent? Rid. Probably. I, there were several that they get. When I found out, this is when I found out that the lady who was teaching that class was an Al-Anon, I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that that meant she probably didn't really know like what it was like to be an alcoholic, so I just discounted and forgot all of it. Um, but this could have been one of them. I can't probably re- was. I can't remember. I know I've heard it. Uh, I don't really care about this one one way or another. Well, I don't know that I've heard it to dislike it. One okay. thing I, I I thought that I thought that I was my ego, right? I would have told you that I'm the destructive personality, the person that's always making the bad decisions or whatever. So in some ways, it was a little bit of a relief to look at it a little differently. That I'm kind of the weak person, lack of power that's stuck between this tug of war, between ego and God. And my ego is way stronger than me. I mean, I have caved to that thing over and over again. And if I'm trying to do the battle, but I know I shouldn't do this, I want to do it. I know I should, I, you know, this kind of thing. I usually will lose that over time, that battle. And so I need a power that's going to be able to do battle with my ego. So you want to keep it? Well, I don't think we can get rid of it. All we can do is continue to flush it. Kind of like those, no, the arcade and you play those whack-a-mole games. I, we spend a bad time hitting it down and it pops over there and hitting it down. So I mean, it, 
the lifetime game, but you want to keep the, the same is what I'm saying. Easing God out. Yeah, I like. I actually like it. Okay. Until and I did not hear the word ego for a number of years in AA. I did not hear that at the meetings I was going to. So it was really only later and um, and hearing some speaker CDs and going to some big book weekends and things like that that I started. Even though it says egocentric in the book, I just kind of yeah. didn't didn't you understand. Connect to it. Some of my religious friends would say they equated the ego with the devil. The thing that was constantly trying to entice them and tempt them into doing bad things. I'm like, I think we're probably talking about kind of the same thing, same, really. Same huh. thing. Seems that way. All right. So here's where we're at. You're going to keep. What do it. you think, Jerry? I'm going to. I want to scrap it. You're neutral. So what should we do, Shank? Uh, well, if I'm neutral, mm, I say scrap it. <laughs> I thought because it was on the list, that's what yeah. we, I'm the deciding well, We don't scrap everything. Now, we could put we it do. out to the listeners. We could. Maybe we should put it out to All listeners. Right. Y'all email us if you would like to keep it or scrap it. Here's what we're going to do, Kathy. We're going to put, we're going to leave it up to the listeners, and we're going to get a vote. That's hysterical. Now I'll have to be watching so to see the, the results. We'll, we'll, we'll send you the results if you're interested. Mm-hmm. I would love that. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, send us, uh, if you're listening and you want to keep ego easing God out, send us an email at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. You'll also be able to vote on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. So get ready. <laughs> What's our next question? Right. Meeting shrapnel number two. I can't let your outsides determine my insides. So, this is what I think about. Okay, so for a while, when I would not share that, like, I'm a felon for life, a criminal, like, all this stuff. I would have these women that would ask me to sponsor them, and I think that uh, sometimes it was because, uh, well, what I know is my boyfriend was an attorney, and like, you know, oh, like, you have this job, and you do all this stuff, and whatever, and like, oh, I want you to be my sponsor, and then these women would learn, like, a little bit more about me, and they would be like, wait, you're just going to make me read the book, and like, just do what it says? And you're not offering to take me to nice lunches and dinners and, like, what what the hell? So, um, I kind of think of instances like that when I, when I read stuff like this. You know, they just had, they had this idea of what, what I was going to be, like, um, based on maybe how I look. And then they got to know me and they were like, wow, or external things. I don't really like this in AA because... Alcoholics Anonymous is supposed to teach us not to do this exact thing. Like, not to judge people based on what they look. People will always say, like, you don't look like you've been to prison. You don't look like a felon. You don't look like whatever. And I'm just I like, get that too. you're in AA. Like, are you kidding me? Is it like day one of AA? You know, you don't know who's in here, okay? Like, there are criminals. There are judges. There are street people. Whatever. Like, you don't. You know, yeah. What do you think, Wayne? Well, I think when I was new, I loved it. <laughs> I did too. That's the truth. I loved it. Oh yes, and I can't, I can't judge my insides by your outside. Um. There's probably some validity to it in that I think everybody else has a better hand than me at life and everybody else has a, a little better deal than I do, which is rarely ever true, nor does it matter. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't think it has any validity today. I don't think it helps anybody. So. I was talking to a gal yesterday on the phone, one of my grand sponsees, and this is kind of what the what the call was about. 
She had gone, her daughter's in college, she's 18, just started school in another state, so that she had gone with her other kid to go see her daughter. And she said that her daughter um, can be rather moody, and that prior to AA, usually what would happen is that when she would get in one of these sour moods, that she felt like it ruined her time and everybody else's time, right? So she would go either pull out the credit card to buy her things or do something, something to change her daughter's mood to lighten it so that everybody would have a better time. So in, in general, that I guess that's where this kind of comes from. It's like I can't, you know, not, I think you're, you're right, Shank, but this is what we're kind of taught to do is that, you know, let the whirling dervishes whirl. I mean, despite the fact that somebody may be irritable or bored or whatever the situation is doesn't mean that you have to then jump on that same bandwagon and have every single thing they're doing affect you but when I read that what what it reminds me of and kind of like Shank where you're talking about sort of like the the smug superiority of it all it reminds me of how sometimes people use the uh the thing about practicing the principles in all your affairs and the way they share on that is I'm going to put these spiritual principles above your messed up, screwed up personality. <laughs> like a, a smug superiority. I'm like, well, the literature does not support that. It actually says, I'm so, right. I, it's right. I'm the only personality trying to kill me. It's my own ego trying to kill me. And it's like, I need to put spiritual principles above this ego to keep my ego in check um, because in all the literature from AA Comes of Age and other places show that. Like when Dr. Bob was dying of cancer and they wanted to build him a big monument that said something about AA because he helped so many people. He said, uh-uh, I want a regular, nondescript, you know, sort of tombstone. Says when I was born and died, whatever. I don't want it even be a special case even in death. Right? And so I think that's the thing. It, it is difficult to allow people to be where they're at. You've ever been around a person like me who used to get in severe depressions? I mean, I would suck the very life and energy out of the room, right? I can't even hear anything you're saying. Even if you came to me and said, I just came from the doctor and I have cancer in two months to live, I'd go, oh, whatever. Okay, let me get back to me. Um, you know, this guy's doing this thing. I mean, it, it was always about sure. me. So it is difficult when when the people around you that you know and love are acting some kind of way whether it's a boss or a kid or a spouse and to be able to be okay in the midst of whatever storm they're going through it is hard but i think the the steps in and of themselves will teach us how to be able to do that so kathy you want to keep it or scrap it i would scrap it because yes. i know of what i know why they're using it like, I don't, yeah, I don't get on board. All right. I'm scrapping it. Shank? It's out of here. All right. All right. What's next? Meeting shrapnel number three. God is dog spelled backwards. <gasps> what? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes, it is. But mm -hmm. why in the world does anybody say that within AA or use that? I don't even get it. Jerry, what, lay it on us. I don't know. I've I've heard it. Guy's sponsor said it not long ago. <laughs> That's where I heard it. <laughs> I thought I you probably know. told it to him. Unless uh, are, are they trying to just? I think they're demystify or probably. You to God? Is that what it Demystified is? Demystified, or they're saying that you can use a dog as your higher power, maybe? I mean, you mentioned a dog earlier, Kathy, so maybe. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I got, I got four dogs, and I promise you, uh, if I was turning my. I, they want me to turn my will and life over to them. I could never get to meetings, and I have to have them sitting in my lap all the time, giving them treats. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know the purpose of this one, but I have heard it throughout the years, off and on. And I, I don't know if they're trying to simplify what the, t the term God or I, I don't know, but it's it's pretty dumb to me. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, it's just. I to remember. I'm sure I heard that from time to time. It's been ages since I heard that. 
But I, if I heard it today, I would probably be like, what did you mean by that? Because mm-hmm. I'm actually quite curious. What do you think about it, Shane? I don't understand it. I mean, anything, you know, if people listen to this podcast, I'm not afraid to tell you when I don't understand or know something. And I don't know what the point of this is. I heard it not too long ago. And then I couldn't even, I didn't really know if I had the saying correct. Because I'm like, this just sounds like a sentence. (laughs) Like, I don't, it doesn't sound like it makes any sense. I say scrap it, but that's because I don't understand what it means. Me too. Kathy, what do you want to do? Yeah, let's let's get rid of that. 100%. All right, I'm going to scrap it. All right, let's out of here. It's out of here. It is out of here. All right, Kathy, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks so and, much for uh, having me. It's been an honor, yep. a lot of fun. I love, I love conversations like this about God yep. and what we do in AA. Because I do think there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings and just because it flies under the AA flag in a meeting doesn't mean that it's actually AA and things have a way of getting mentioned and then repeated and then you think it's gospel and it's maybe not which is why it's so key to have things like this and a competent sponsor to help help you walk through these things and think about that for yourself yep yep well thanks again if you're out there remember lack of power is our dilemma (laughs) <laughs> and the, the purpose of the book is to help us to find that power, and that power can help you to stay sober and be free. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.